I read the other day the story of two shopkeepers. They, their shops were right across the street from each other, and they were bitter, bitter rivals. And what they would do is they would kind of keep track of what was going on. They'd, they'd stand there and look out the window or stand there on the sidewalk and see uh, when the other person would get a customer. But when they got a customer, they kind of smile and wink at the other one and then walk on in the shop. Well, this went on for years and years and years, and the rivalry got more and more bitter until finally an angel, God, appeared to one of the shopkeepers. And he said, I'm here to teach you a valuable life lesson. God is going to give you anything you ask for. Doesn't matter what it is, wealth, fame, power, God's going to give you whatever you ask for. But here's the stipulation. Whatever you receive, your rival shopkeeper is going to get twice as much. You can ask for you can ask for wealth, and God will give you wealth, but you need to understand that your rival across the street is going to get twice as much as you do. You can ask for fame, and you will become famous, but your rival across the street will become twice as famous. So ask for whatever you want, but just remember, your rival gets twice as much as you do. And so this shopkeeper who wrestled with this, he thought and he thought and he thought and he mulled it over and he finally said, okay, I've got it. Strike me blind in one eye. (laughs) Some of you will have to explain that to your spouse on the way home today. But therein is the power of envy. It should go without saying that, that envy does not sprout, does not grow out of love. And we are in a continuing journey to discover what real love is so that we might love real. That we might really display the love of God in a world that desperately needs to see an appropriate model of love. Yesterday I had the wonderful opportunity of going uh, and performing the wedding ceremony for Shay Beasley yesterday. She is now Shay Craig. She married Bobby Craig. Two wonderful young Christians getting ready to start out on a life together. And as part of each and every ceremony that I do, I share with them the words of 1 Corinthians 13, which begins, love is patient, love is kind. But it goes on to say this, love does not envy. And that's where we are today. We've talked about patience. We've talked about kindness. And what I've discovered is, of course, that most of us wrestle with impatience and many of us wrestle with unkindness. But when we come to this, I wonder how many people are going to walk out the door and confess to this one today. This is a little bit different. Um, you know, we can, we can kind of excuse impatience and sometimes even excuse unkindness because we're just having a bad day. But when it comes to being envious... That's not something that we're willing to share with with too many people. And so today, we want to come to to terms with what this is so that we can show appropriate love, God's love, to a broken world. But in order to do this, we need to understand why love doesn't envy. And so could you pray with me as we start this morning? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts, minds, eyes, that you would give us full attention on this verse so that it would penetrate into our hearts, change us from the inside out, and make us people who display your love with fervency. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And I also discovered something else. There is no easy way to get to young Harris from here, um, except by helicopter. And so, for any of you here who have a helicopter, the next time I have to go up here, there, I need to call you. So, you know, put something in my inbox so I'll know how to get up with you. That's a long, curvy trip. All right, as you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Love does not envy. Your, your Bible may have the word jealous. Those two words are kin. In fact, jealous is probably, uh, for us, uh, that, that word is a little lower level of envy. But we want to we discover what this is. If love does not envy, then we certainly don't want to be doing that. When I went back and did a little study, it's interesting that the root Greek word of this word envy is boil, B-O-I-L. And it can give us a picture of boiling with envy, this churning, this bubbling, this cauldron of envy, which I think is a very apt picture of what's taking place. If you look on the outside of a pot, you don't get to see the top of it. You may not see all the boiling that's taking place on the inside. Envy's kind of like that. It's something that's taking place on the inside that may not at least at first be visible on the outside. We might say that envy has two levels. That first level, that entry level to envy is to desire or even yearn for what someone else has. And I think we all kind of get into this from time to time. You know, I sure wish I could sing like she does, you might say. Or, you know, you might see the car that someone is driving and boy, go, wow, really like to have a car like that or a house like that or a stereo system like that or a TV like that. It's kind of that entry level into envy where we see what someone else has and we desire it. We want it. We'd like to have something just like that. The second level is a little more nefarious. The second level, you not only desire what someone else has, but you resent that he or she should have it at all. You resent that they have something that you don't have. When you get to this level of boiling envy, where the cauldron is really bubbling up, then it's basically like saying, I want it, and I don't want you to have it. Pretty much like what we pictured in the, in the video that you saw before the message, or the story of the shopkeepers. You know, if God were to appear to you and say, and I know you don't have any enemies, but if God were to appear to you and say, I'll give you whatever you ask for, but I'm going to give this person who's your rival twice as much. If you would refrain from taking the good from God because your enemy, your rival would get twice as much, then that's certainly at the heart of envy. But most of us don't have that opportunity. But that doesn't mean we don't envy When we look at what other people have and we look at what we don't have and we want what they've got and don't want them to have it, then that's envy. In other words, envy constantly compares what others have to what you have or what you don't have. Envy finds joy, excuse me, finds no joy in the success or the achievements of others. You can't look at what someone else has done and be happy for them. That's pretty sad. 
if someone else uh, comes, gets a promotion, instead of being happy for them, you look at them and, and you feel slighted. You feel like you simply got cheated out of it. If someone has worked hard and achieved a lot in life and, and they're living in a much higher standard than you are, you may look at them and resent that they have reached that plateau. Now, the problem is sometimes you work very hard at a low level and you never get above it and you see people above you who didn't work very hard and they still have it. Well, I mean, then you can, you can obviously explain away envy and resentment then, can't you? Well, not really. It's still the same thing. You're looking at what someone else has and you're wishing that you had it and they didn't. And there's this churning, this bubbling that goes on and, and, and something inside of you shouts, that's not fair. But as I told my children growing up, life's not fair. If you're expecting fair, you're on the wrong planet. It's not happening. Irma Bombeck, that uh, prolific writer, humorous writer, she, uh, she wrote this prayer that I think kind of sums envy up pretty well. She said, Lord, if you cannot make me thin, at least make my friends look fat. Some of you have prayed that prayer. But that's envy. That is the heart of envy. But this is what the Bible says about envy. The Bible says that envy rots the bones. You know, we said that it's a boiling, a churning that happens typically on the inside of us, but it has a negative effect on the inside of us too. It rots us from the inside out. It does something ugly, uh, decaying inside of us. It churns up in you. You want other people's stuff. You want other people's houses, other people's cars, other people's lives. It's often internal, often unseen, but that doesn't mean it's any less harmful to you. But it's also harmful to your relationships with others. It's hard to love someone whom you envy. And even worse, it's harmful to your relationship with the Lord. Because if you carry this stuff on the inside of you, this envy, it's going to get in the way of your relationship, your unbroken fellowship with God. James writes, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. And here's what he's saying. Envy may begin on the inside, but it doesn't finish there. When you envy someone, your relationship with them suffers, but you also begin to do things in life, to take shortcuts in life, to pull the other person down. You may go out and spread gossip or slander about this other person to bring them down because it's not that you've seen what they've had and it sparked within you a desire to get better and to do more and to reach higher. Instead, what you say is, it's not that I'm going to do what I need to do to get to where that person is. I want to pull that person down to where I am. And then my problem will be solved. We can find lots of examples of envy throughout the pages of the Bible. And I just began to think from the very front and working my way through. But you can see Cain and Abel. 
uh, that Sarah envied Hagar, Rachel envied Leah, Joseph's older brothers envied him. Certainly the religious leaders in Jesus' day envied his popularity. But I found it interesting. There's a guy named John. We call him John the Baptist. Not because he was a member of a Baptist church, but because he was a baptizer. John's disciples came to Jesus and they said, Listen, things aren't going so well. We've looked at the numbers. We've run the numbers and it seems that Jesus is getting more followers than you are. And there are people who are actually leaving you to go and follow Jesus. And, and the numbers aren't looking real good, John. But John's response was this. He must become greater. I must become less. He saw exactly the same thing that his disciples saw, but he saw it with a different set of eyes. His heart attitude was different. Because he understood who Jesus was and why Jesus had come. Now God has placed within each of us this desire to achieve, to become better, to climb higher. But what Satan attempts to do is to take that desire, that healthy desire that's in us, and to twist it into churning, bubbling envy. And what we do is we compare our situation to that of others, and we bemoan our plight, our status... When we compare it to someone else's. And our conclusion, as I said before, is it's not fair. But that attitude is not healthy. It's not productive for your life. It's not productive for the kingdom. And it's certainly not an attitude of love. So, how can we combat what William Shakespeare called the green-eyed monster? Envy. Let me suggest some things to you this morning that I think might help as you battle with envy. And the first is this. Acknowledge envy is a spiritual issue. When you're envious of someone else, you think your problem is with them and what they've got that you don't have. In truth, your problem is with God. Think about it. Somehow you think God has rigged the game of life so that that person ended up in a better place than you did. Whereas the Apostle Paul could say, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Envy says, I will only be satisfied when I've got what she's got, when I've got what he's got. You see the difference? Paul could say, whatever the circumstances I'm in, whether I have a lot or have a little, whether I'm on top of the world or the world's on top of me, I can be content because I've got what I need in Christ. That's where I find my fulfillment. That's where I find my satisfaction. But envy says I'll only be happy. I'll only be content. I'll only be satisfied when I've got what she's got, what he's got, until it's mine. To deal with envy correctly means we need to identify that it's a spiritual issue. You see, if we're going to move beyond envy, then we need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. That's where it begins. Secondly, confess, confess the sin, 
Confess that envy is a sin and ask God to set you free. It's interesting as I have um, the different comments that you get on Sundays as people go out. Uh, some Sundays is simply, uh, yeah, that was a good sermon, Pastor. And then I, I sit there and wonder, okay, uh, were you the one who was asleep? No. Uh, but when people go out, for instance, a couple of Sundays ago, we talked about patience. That probably got as much uh, chatter going out the door as anything else did. As people walked out, because they could identify, that was an issue. Pa- I'm impatient, I-, I know I struggle with that, and that-, that spoke to me, that helped me in some way, or at least that pointed out the issue for me. Uh, pretty much the same thing was true as we dealt with, with kindness, but a little bit less, because how many of us won't admit that we're unkind? I mean, but, but it's true. Um, and you have to kind of recognize, there are times, uh, I know for me, if, if I'm in pain, then I'm a little less kind than, than normal. Or if I'm stressed, I'm a little less kind than normal. And maybe it would be a good idea if we all had mood rings. So, you know, it just kind of gave you a warning when, oh, he's going to be unkind today, better, better, better watch out. But we have all these external things and internal things that work on us that, that tend to lead us to being more unkind. And instead of just waving warning flags to our spouse or our children or our parents or our coworkers, Instead of just waving warning flags that, you know, I'm on, a, I'm on a rampage today, that's actually putting the onus on them to deal with our issue. But it's our issue. If we're unkind, that's our issue. And we only deal with that by recognizing it and taking it to God. The same thing is true with envy. Even though, even though people don't see your envy as much, it's one of those hidden sins Something you carry inside you where you see that, uh, uh, you know, well, I remember when David Ray pulled up in that silver Ford pickup, brand new sitting out there. And I pulled up in, in my 97 Chevy pickup. Now, I don't have a big deal with Chevy, you know, Ford Dodge stuff. That's just not a big deal for me. If it rolls, I'm good with it. But, you know, I pull up and I see that truck and, you know, I can have two attitudes to that. I can be very happy that David has that truck because it's a pretty cool truck. Or I can look at his truck and look at my truck and begin to have resentment, envy that he's got that. But David would never know that. I'm, this is not confession time. I'm, I'm using you as an example, okay? Pretty cool truck, though. But you'd, but you'd never know that unless I came in and made some kind of snide remark. What usually happens with envy is that you don't, you don't address it directly with the person you're envious and just walk up and go, hey, I'm really envious that you've got that truck and I don't have it. Give me the keys. You don't normally do it that way. But instead, you do things behind the scenes. You go to someone and say, you know, David raised a treasure and he's driving a new truck. What's up with that? Sorry, David, if I got you in trouble. IRS will be calling on Monday. But, uh, but those, that's the way we handle envy. We handle envy in a more clandestine way. We don't approach it directly. But we say, David's got something I don't have. 
I'd like to have what he has, but I can't get it. And if I can't get it, let me bring him down a notch. This happens in the business world. You know this happens in the business world. People tear one another down, but that's not the only place it happens. It happens in your families. You know it happens in your families. You've got a high achiever in your family, someone who's made it, and there are people who are jealous and envious of that person, and, and it just messes up the family unity. It happens. We need to deal with it. And the way we deal with it is to confess it as sin and ask God to set us free from it. You see, hiding sin has not been a good strategy since the Garden of Eden. You'll remember, Adam and Eve sinned, and what did they do? They jumped in the bushes, which is the stupidest thing. I mean, God, like God doesn't have x-ray vision. He's walking through and going, where did they go? I, he knew exactly where they were. But, but, in, but sin causes us to do silly things, like try to hide our sin, and we can't hide our sin from God. So if you want to experience freedom, and you want to experience contentment, the only avenue is to, ex- is to confess that envy and then to receive the cleansing that God has in store for you, the restoration God has in store for you, and then you walk away keeping in step with the Spirit. God can change your heart attitude about that other person, about what they've got and what you don't have. Third, this may be the hardest part, Pray for the person you envy. Pray for the person you envy. In the late 1800s, there was a preacher named F.B. Meyer. He was a pastor of Christ Church in London. Also at the same time, in practicing also in England, were G. Campbell Morgan, the pastor of Westminster Chapel, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the pastor of Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle. Now, for some of you, you recognize those names. For some of you, you're like, well, who are they? At one time, pastors were superstars. And these guys were the bright and shining stars in England. It would be like um, Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley, Ed Young, people like that. Those big names, Joel Osteen, those big superstars. Well, these were the superstars. And here's the problem. F.B. Meyer looked at what was happening at the other two churches with Spurgeon and with Morgan. And he saw that they had bigger crowds than he had. And he finally began to realize, you know what, I'm envying my fellow pastors. I'm not wishing them well. I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking the best of them. I'm thinking the worst of them. I'm thinking what shortcuts did they take to get to where they are and what shortcuts can I take to get to the same place? And he said, it's not until I began to pray for them and for their success that things began to change. And this is what he said. When I prayed for their success, the result was that God filled their churches so full that the overflow filled mine. And it's been the same ever since. But it's a hard issue. You know, he may not have been, some people wouldn't be content even with that. Okay, everything's full. But wait a minute. 
The reason it's full is because it's overflow from other churches. And they're filling our church because they can't go there. And they wouldn't be content with that. But F.B. Meyer came to a point where he recognized that envy was an issue. And the only cure for him, other than taking it to God, was to pray for those he envied. And here's the reason. At the center of envy is your desire to rise and your desire for your rival to fall. If you begin to pray for them, you'll find that your heart begins to change. You cannot envy someone and love them at the same time. Jesus instructed his disciples, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And if that's true for your enemies, then it should be no less true for your brothers or your sisters who have a little more than you. And then fourth, and this is hard for some people, count your blessings. Count your blessings. The Bible calls us to be joyful always, pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God does call us to be thankful in all circumstances, whether you have little or whether you have much. Part of the problem with envy is that you magnify your neighbor's blessings and you minimize your own. And when you do, you become ungrateful. And that's the first step on the path to becoming envious. We noted last week that kindness is not something that other people have earned or deserved. It's not something that we earned or deserved, but that God gave it to us as well. When was the last time that you turned your eyes heavenward and said, God, I want to sincerely thank you for what I have. I know that my neighbor has more. I know that they've achieved more. They have a bigger house, they have a nicer car, they wear nicer clothes. They have the freedom to go out and eat more frequently and to go to the movies as much as they want. They have a boat and hit the lake. They're able to travel and to do things that I can't do. But God, I need to take my eyes off of them and see what you've blessed me with. To see what you've filled me with. I want more. Go ahead and confess to God. I want more. But for what you've given me, God, I am content. When was the last time you were able to do that? Envy is a roadblock to that. Envy gets in the way of that kind of hard attitude. But I want to tell you, folks, envy is a choice. But so is contentment. Your challenge today is to choose. Will I be envious or will I be content? Will I go on craving what other people have, wanting to drag them down to my level, feeling cheated by God and everybody? Or will I be grateful that no matter what I have, I can trust that God has no less care for me than he does for them? That he is giving me everything I need for life and for godliness. It's not a matter of luck. It's not a matter of God loving them more than you. 
Perhaps what God needs to work on is the same thing you worked on in F.B. Meyer's heart. And that is to ask you, are you content where you are? If you never achieve any more, if your bank account never gets any bigger, is God enough? And that's what it really boils down to. It's not that he's trying to keep you poor. It's not that he's trying to, you know, put other people ahead of you in line. You see, people on both ends of the spectrum struggle in different ways. But I promise you this. I promise you this. If you make $10,000 a year or you make $10 million a year, do you think envy is any less real? You envy those who make more than you, but guess what? Those who make more than you envy those who make more than them. Long time ago, one of the richest men in the world, J. Paul Getty, was asked, how much is enough? His response was, one dollar more. It never ends. If you cannot be content where you are today, then if you win the lottery tomorrow, you will not be content tomorrow. It's a hard issue. 